like bless your heart in the South? Yes, very much. People mm, mess it up all the time. I have strong feelings about bless your heart. They mess it up because they use it in like a positive. No, non- that's see. Oh, well, which no, is go- oh, you're te- corrupted too. Oh, tell me the truth, Steph. Bless your heart is supposed to be a nice thing. I mean, it's literally bless your heart. It's like a sure. kind thing, but then people have heard it where it can be a negative, and we're like, oh, bless your heart, in like a pity sort of way. So then it's become more fun to like use it in like a, a mean way. But no, it's supposed to be nice. And I stand strongly because I will say it and I don't want people to think that I'm using it in like the it mean way. It is important way. for you then that this gets reclaimed. Yeah. So, all right. Bless your heart. You, use Bless it for good. Heart. <laughs> You're trying. <laughs> it was the obvious outcome. Uh, I feel bad that I didn't get us there, but thank you, Tom, for keeping us honest. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed. I'm Steph. And I'm Chris. And we're developers here at ThoughtBot hoping to share a few of our adventures with you each week. So what's new with you, Chris? Continuing on with a theme from last week, we were able to merge the giant pull request that replaced all of the inputs in the application. Following that, there's been sort of the cleanup validation. Um, We found a couple of places where some styling was off or we weren't passing through all the props, right? Or just a couple of sort of inconsistencies. Overall, it actually went pretty smoothly. Took a while to actually do the merge, but when we finally did it, it went reasonably smoothly. We were pretty happy with the rollout, but now there is still some cleanup tasks and things, which has led me to working with a tool that I have not worked with in the past, but the tool that we're using on this project is called Yelk, Y-A-L-C. Yelk. I'm so glad you spelled that. (laughs) Yelk. (laughs) Okay. Yelk or, yeah, that's how I'd pronounce it. Just to provide some context in case someone hasn't heard that previous episode, what is this long running branch that you're referencing? Yes. So the application that we're working on is one of a handful of applications at the company, at the client. And they have extracted a component module to provide all of the inputs and drop downs and radio buttons and all of that sort of stuff. And to provide uniform styling of those elements across the different products that they have. So that work building out that component module has been going on for a while. And now it was time to do the big switch over of bringing in all of the new inputs. So text inputs, text areas, drop downs, selects, radio groups, actually, yeah, basically all of the input type elements. And we ended up in a world where we opted to do it as one big change, mostly to minimize the visual distinction because the new code looks different than the old code, which actually that's an interesting thing that perhaps we could have made this simpler if we had matched the visual style and just changed out the technical foundation and then been able to do the the stylistic changes on top of that. But, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And still, that actually sounds very complicated. And there's no clear path on this thing. It was going to be hard no matter what. How long's that branch been running now? The holidays complicate this, but it started somewhere in December. And the work mm-hmm. on all of those components has been going on for months. So this is the culmination of a lot of effort. So yeah, we merged it, though. That's a thing. That's exciting. That is exciting. Yes. And that went pretty smoothly? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, mostly good with a couple of cleanup tasks, and now that's what most of this week has been focused on. Nice. And that brings me to Yelk. Um, Oh, right, Yelk. I already forgot about Yelk. (laughs) (laughs) So as we're working on this component module, it's a separate package. It's a separate repository at this point. And while we're doing local development on that, we want to be able to reference that locally built version in the upstream application that's going to consume it. So there are a couple of tools that you can do this with in the JavaScript world. NPM link is one of them. I think Yarn has a link. There's also the idea of Yarn workspaces, although I think that might be conflating 
mono repos into the mix. So that's a whole other thing that we have yet to pursue, but probably will down the road. But both npm link and yarn link have some limitations or rough edges. And so Yalk is, we will link in your local packages, but we'll do it right. It's one of those like, do the thing, but do it well sort of projects. Sorry, so I'm struggling a little bit still with what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're referring to like NPM link, I'm not familiar with that particular project. So what does that do for you? So either NPM link or yarn link or Yalk, their job is to take some dependency that you have in your package.json. And if you're locally developing the next version of that, you can reference that local version. I don't know if it actually uses symlinks under the hood, but it basically symlinks your local version of that project into your node modules folder so that the version that's running in your parent application is that version that you're tinkering with over in the other, for me, tmux window. Oh, that's cool. Is that very similar? So like if you're in a gem file, you can just point it to like a local version of like a gem that you're running, or you can point it to a branch or something like that? Is that it similar? It is very similar with the exception that because of NPM ecosystem complications. When I've had to do that with gems, it's been pretty straightforward. I do the thing that you said where I say like, it's over here in this file path now. And Bundler seems to handle that pretty transparently. And I've not felt any pain or needed to reach for other tools. But in the node modules world, which I think node modules inherently takes a different approach to these sort of things. And that's part of where the complexity comes from. But it basically, any of these tools are sort of maintaining a mini package registry within your local system. And then from the component module, so the dependency, I'm able to yalk publish dash dash push or something like that. And that's a way to tell the upstream project, pull in this new version and do some stuff. And and, uh, it's a funny word. So there's that. I'm just grinning over here (laughs) based on every time you say you can yalk this. Every time I do it, every single time I type it in the term, I'm like, ah. That's a funny word. I feel like it's just so. another form of like yeet or something or oh. one of those words. <laughs> You're hip to the internet? <laughs> In some ways. Uh, yeah, it could be the next iteration of yeet. Yeah. <laughs> Does it stand for anything? I want to say it's yarn link, but as one word, but link doesn't end in a... C, C, it ends in a K. So uh, I imagine, yeah, let me actually look it up now. Please hold. <laughs> I don't see any specific information about what it might stand for. Although now that I think about it, it could definitely be like yet another linking client or something like that. Some like acronym with a one that, of those. I don't know what it, if it actually stands for that, mm-hmm. but I love that. Yet yep. another linking client. Here we are. That's what it is to me now. From now on. <laughs> <laughs> Truth or not. And it sounds like using that new tool has gone well. You'd recommend? It's mostly gone well, although it has highlighted the complexities of fragmenting a system like that. Like I remain strongly in the monolith camp. So this design library, this component module has been extracted and that's so that it can be shared across multiple different applications. So that makes sense as a totally reasonable idea. And if you end up in that world, you're sort of stuck with this. And so I'm interested to see, I think in the coming months, we'll explore mono repos. So making it so that these are adjacent dependencies within a similar big meta package, something like that, or other ways to make this less painful. But Yalk has done its job well. It's still painful, I guess is my summary. There's still this manual step. I go over, I edit one thing, and then I come back over, and I push it from one side to the other. But I'm never quite sure, and the hot reloading's a little bit weird, and so I end up having to like shut down my server a bunch, yarn, reinstall. And my lack of confidence in when the changes are reflected in the upstream project is probably the most painful thing. I don't know if that's actually Yalk's fault. It might be doing everything it's supposed to, but the Create React app build that we're running is a little bit older. We have a lot of files in the project. It sometimes gets confused. Lots of hard problems all kind of coming 
to a head here. And so the workflow that I've had over the past few days has been more painful than I'm normally used to. And so I'm, I'm thinking a bit on that, like, is this painful for good reasons or is there other ways we could do it? Or I, I think we probably found the optimum solution for what we're doing, but it's it has been a little painful. You brought back memories when you mentioned that is the design portion that has been segmented out into a another gym or a package that you're pulling in. And that makes me think of the one project I've worked on where the design was in its own gym that was being pulled into a Rails app. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting from a concept, like that sounds cool because that we can share across all the different apps, but I had a strong love-hate relationship where I loved that it could be updated in one place and then it just impacted everywhere that was pulling it in. But I also hated it because it always caught me by surprise. Mm -hmm. Anytime I was looking for something, even though I knew it existed, I always forgot it existed and that it wasn't actually in my project's repo. And I needed to look inside that gym to find the source code. So every now and then, like once a week, I'd have this moment where I'm looking for something. I'd spend 10 minutes. I can't find it. It suddenly dawned on me to look in this other package. And I would just like shake my fist at the cloud and fuss about the fact that I forgot where it existed. (laughs) So... Yeah, that's that's always interesting. And yeah, not having faith where you have to constantly like reload or shut down the server and see if it, your changes took place is tedious. Yeah, that is an unfortunate and I think more just like a tooling thing that could be improved. Although it's interesting your highlighting of the confusion. Like I, I was on that same project where the Rails app had the separated out. I think it was an engine or something like that the way it was actually done. But that idea that I would grep the code base to try and find like a class name in CSS and I wouldn't find it. I'd be like, huh. And it was only the fourth time that I got that wrong that I was like, I know this time I will go look in the other place. And it, it took a while to normalize to that. And I think part of the reason for that in my mind is Rails and Ruby's just magic things just show up. Whereas in the JavaScript app, particularly because we're using CSS and JavaScript, I think we're using styled components or emotion, one of the two. But as a result, what we're actually moving around are React components and everything is explicitly imported into the files. And so there's a much more clear dependency structure. Like I've never been burnt by saying like, where is this defined? Where is this coming from? I always know that. And that's much more clear in these files than it might be in, say, a Rails app. And it's always an interesting comparison. So yeah, I just find it interesting that you bring that up. And I hadn't been thinking about that and the fact that I wasn't feeling any pain around that. But it it is interesting to then contrast that. And like that part's actually been really great about this. I've never been confused. But yeah, that's that's mostly what I've been up to this week. Uh, How about you? What's on your mind? Uh, So it's beginning of the year, and I've noticed that there's typically an uptick in how many emails and how many requests that I'm starting to field around people that are interested in attending a boot camp or are interested in learning to code and go through a career shift. So that's something that's been on my mind a good bit just as I'm starting to schedule more coffees and have conversations with people that are interested in learning to code. And I've often said to myself around this time of the year, I'm like, I should write a blog post. I should pull together some of the common questions, some of the common answers that I provide, some of the advice that I tend to give around this topic and then publish it, which I haven't done yet. But since we have this spoken blog post. Exactly. Since we have this podcast, (laughs) I can share a lot of that here. And I'd be intrigued to see if other people like the topic as well, because if they're also fielding questions, if people are reaching out to them and asking them about boot camps, I'd be intrigued to see how their experience has been with what typical questions they tend to field, what answers they tend to give, what advice they offer. So yeah, I figured that would be a fun conversation to dive into. 
So kind of jumping right into it, I'm going to start with the idea of the interesting reasons that people are often switching over to coding, because that one's always fascinating to me. And I hear a couple of different answers for why folks are interested in this world. And one of them that's fairly common is that they've seen people code. So they work at a company and a number of the people that work around them also code. And so they're very interested in it from that perspective. They've been exposed to it and they think it's a good way to go and it's piqued their interest. Another one that's interesting to me that I hear every now and then is that they're looking for a better work-life balance. And that one we can dig into a bit more. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's pause there because I would be really curious on your thoughts. If someone said to you that they want to switch over to coding to help have a healthier work-life balance, what are your thoughts around that? It's interesting. Working at ThoughtBot, that has been a core value and a, and a constant, or at least something that we've always strived towards. So it's, for me, the, the vast majority of my coding career has been here, and therefore it's been sort of ever-present in my life. But I've worked with plenty of clients where I've not seen that. And I think inherently the digital nature of the thing that we're doing, the fact that everything lives in the cloud and it's accessible from anywhere and I could see it actually being much harder to maintain those boundaries just because of how accessible everything is. So I don't know. I, I'm interested in what the normal experience is or if there is such a thing. For me, it's been great, but I can see it very easily falling into not great. And I've definitely seen that at plenty of clients. Yeah, I was just curious. I feel like I'm in pretty much the same boat where working at ThoughtBot has helped shape where my work-life balance is at, but working for other companies and then experiencing how other people work That tends to be when people say like, oh, I'm looking for a healthier work-life balance. My immediate reaction to that is like, I wouldn't go into coding for that specific reason. Like it's something that you can hopefully achieve and that's what we all want from any career that we're in, but I wouldn't necessarily pursue coding for that reason because you think that being a developer can offer you this work-life balance and another career can't. So that one's always sort of an interesting and conversation starter for me when people approach coding from that perspective. I will dive further into that conversation because I want them to be aware that I wouldn't necessarily think of coding specifically for that goal, even though that's hopefully something we all achieve regardless of the career that we're in. Yep. It's actually interesting now that I think about it a little bit more. I would say that I have a good work-life balance and that I don't feel pressure to work on the like work, work, you know, client billable hours, things like that. But if I actually take a step back and look at what I do in my free time, I spend a lot of time on things that are very related to the job that I do. I am almost constantly reading blogs, watching videos, toying around with new languages and frameworks. That's both my natural inclination, but I, I, it's not a requirement. I know that. But how much does that affect your ability to work in this industry? And how much is that the norm? And Am I just taking that for granted? It's hard for me to recommend like, yeah, no, y'all have a great work-life balance. It's totally possible in this industry, except for me, I actually just go home and spend hours researching this thing that I do every week. What I really like about that point is it highlights the fact that coding is often, like if you're coming to coding because you really enjoy it, then you'll tend to spend your off hours investing further into coding, which is then often going to translate into pushing your career along as well. So it has that direct benefit. But if you're coming to coding because you're like, yeah, I just really want like a nine to five job. I don't want to think about this outside of work, that sort of mentality of coming to coding, then I think it could be very easy to be burnt out at some point with coding because I do think it takes a fair amount of persistence to do well in this industry. And so that's why I just get concerned when folks are looking to it as sort of like maybe they think it's like an easy answer as like I can just do the sign to five and then shut down. 
versus my reality has been that people often use coding as like a hobby. It's something that they do a lot in their spare time because they enjoy it. Or I've also experienced a number of individuals that will work more than nine to five because that tends to be the culture that I've seen at some companies. It's an interesting one. And then two of the other common reasons are the I'm looking for a concrete marketable skill. And then I know some coding and I've done a little bit of HTML, CSS, and now I want to transfer into like a full-time developer job. So they want to enhance those skills to take it a bit further. So then once I've chatted with people sort of like, what are they hoping to get out of the coding bootcamp? Because a lot of folks will tell me how they're experienced with coding or what exposure they have to it. But then we often have to dive into it's like, what do you want out of this program? Like, best case scenario, like three to six months from now, the program's over. Where do you see yourself? Where would you like to be? And I find that a lot of times folks are so focused on getting to the boot camp and making this hard switch that they're not often thinking the six months out to like, where do I want to be after this? So what value am I getting from this hard transition that I'm trying to make? So once we talk a bit about what value would they like to receive from the program that they're investing into, there's typically some other common questions that folks will ask me about boot camps. I've noticed that when I meet up with folks to talk about this experience, I do a lot more listening than I do in giving advice because a number of the people who are at this stage are already fairly confident like that this is what they want to do. I think they mostly just want to talk out loud about it with someone who has been through that experience or someone who has some knowledge about the industry to help them confirm that this is a good choice. So I often find a lot of my role in that conversation is just listening to them and letting them sort of say out loud what maybe they feel like they can't get as good feedback from someone who's not in the software industry. But some of the common questions that do come up is what should I learn? And then have you done an online program? Those are probably the two hottest questions that come up. (laughs) For the what do I learn one is always fun because it's like, well, Do you know what you want to be when you grow up? Like, Do you know if you like design more than you want to do necessarily like the implementation or backend coding? Or maybe you don't have a clue, but you just know you're interested in coding. And my default answer for the what should I learn is often like, uh, you can learn Rails and React. They're solid. They're still very popular. You'll be safe in the sense that you can get a job with those. If you know you're more inclined to go, you want to build mobile applications, then at that point, I'll often recommend that they check out a site that's called Course Report. So that will list a lot of the different boot camps that you can attend and give you reviews and also give you a list of the curriculum. And in terms for the online program, I haven't done an online program, but to me, it all comes down to motivation. If the person is motivated to do this, then I think they can have a positive online experience as they could in person. And then also finding a way to establish a community with people who are going through a similar experience. So if they have crafted that community online, then I think that could work just as well as being in person. But I haven't personally done that. So I I typically can't offer too much advice in the online course. When you say if they've crafted that community, are you talking about the boot camp or are you talking about the individual attending an online boot camp? The boot camp. Okay. That's something that I want... For these students that are paying for this program, that is something that I very much expect the boot camp to help them with, is to connect them with peers, give them lots of code review, and then to be someone that they can reach out, do video calls with, they can do screen sharing, pairing. Like That online community needs to be very strong to replace the in-person learning experience. At least for me, that's my take. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a fast and enjoyable project management platform that breaks down silos and brings teams together to ship value, not features. 
Let's face it, slow, confusing UX is so last decade. Clubhouse is lightning fast, built for today's software teams with only the features and best practices you need to succeed and nothing more. Here are a few highlights about Clubhouse. Flexible workflows, easily customized workflow states for teams or projects of any size. Advanced filtering, quickly filter by project or team to see how everything is progressing. Sprint planning, set your weekly priorities with iterations and let Clubhouse run the schedule. They also integrate with the tools you love, so Clubhouse ties into your existing tools, services, and workflow. Get notifications or create a story in Slack, update the status of a story with a pull request, preview designs from Figma links, build your own integration with our API, and more. Enjoyable collaboration, easy drag-and-drop UI, dark mode, emoji reactions, and more. When you're doing your best work and your team is clicking, life is good. Clubhouse has recently made all core features completely free for teams with up to 10 users, and they're offering listeners of the Bike Shed two free months on any paid plan with unlimited users and access to premium features. Give it a try at clubhouse.io slash bike shed. Once again, that URL is clubhouse.io slash bike shed. Bike shed's all one word right there. So give it a try. Thanks again to Clubhouse for sponsoring this episode of The Bike Shed. I'm interested in something you said in part of that where you talked about how a lot of the people that you're talking to, they seem relatively clear on the fact that this is a path that they want to go down. And my experiences have been a little bit different where I've had a lot of people talk to me perhaps a little bit earlier in the process, so before even deciding the boot camp, and maybe that's the difference here. But coding seems good from afar, from what I see of that world. It seems like there are jobs and they're relatively high paying and then you know the work-life balance and a bunch of other things. And so folks are interested in it. And I find myself talking to folks more at that point which it's interesting that you're saying most of the people you're talking to are relatively clear. They want to do a boot camp and they're just looking for advice around that. Do you end up talking to folks that are in the, the earlier part that just thinking about it? Yeah, I do. And I'm realizing that's probably a perception that I have built up over time. A number of the individuals that I speak with say that they're interested in coding, the reasons that they're interested in coding, and they've been looking and researching boot camps. And I feel like unless I give a very strong negative picture of boot camps, that's where they're headed. So that's why I feel like they're pretty much in that space of like, I want to learn to code, but I don't want to go to college for four years to pursue a CS degree. So that's why I feel like they're kind of typically in that space of where they are interested in a boot camp. They just need some encouragement from someone who has already gone through the program to help them feel like this is a wise decision and something that they can do. But yeah, there's a number of folks that I, I have not necessarily kept in touch with. So I don't know if they went through or if they pivoted and did something else. So I find myself typically when I'm talking to folks at that point, recommending some sort of exploration. So before going to a boot camp, like try it out. Coding is more approachable than basically any other job field that I know of. And my typical suggestion is try and figure out if this thing sparks you at all before going like fully investing in the idea of a boot camp. Because boot camps are a wonderful, rapid way to do this and relatively cost effective and et cetera, et cetera. But Still, if if that's not going to end up with this being a happy career path for you, then that's going to be a complete waste of time and money and opportunity costs and all the things. And so my typical recommendation is Code School or Treehouse or something like that, that it has some great introductory programming courses. But right now, I'm actually second-guessing myself, and I'm wondering, is that the right thing? Is learning through those sort of online resources without a community a reasonable way for people to determine this? Or have I potentially sent people in a bad direction? Oh, I think you've sent people in the totally right direction. 
I'm I'm with you. That is a hundred percent what I will recommend to folks too. It is I'm like go ahead and start learning today. You can learn a lot of stuff for free or at a pretty low cost using some of the resources that you recommended. There's so much content online where folks are sharing what they're learning, creating courses for folks to follow along. So if you can start learning today and figure out if this is something that does interest you. Or you already know you're interested and you're probably going to go the boot camp route or you're going to go some other formal education routes, then there's no harm. There's just benefit in starting early. Because if you go into a boot camp with a baseline of knowledge, you'll be ahead of the others in a way that can be helpful because you'll feel a little bit more stabilized. But then also you may be able to help some others that haven't started learning early. So that gives you a great opportunity to start teaching and mentoring a bit. So I absolutely agree that if you can start learning today before you go into the program, like why not take advantage of it and sort of prove to yourself, like I really am interested in this and I have the motivation and the dedication to go through with a full program that then I'm investing like tens to $20,000 in and completing. Yeah, that that all makes sense. And that roughly aligns with everything I've been thinking. Although, as I was saying it a minute ago, my hesitation was around, am I sending someone to go try something that might be very hard that they might fail at in that context, like without necessarily having a community or, or a support system or things like that. But if they did have those things, they would succeed and find a wonderful career path. Are there some individuals for whom that would be setting them up for failure? I see. So it might set them up for failure because they're learning on their own in isolation and they may feel overwhelmed and sort of give up. Right. I think the resources that you mentioned will help negate that from happening because Treehouse, Code Academy, some of those, they do have online forums and very much encourage the students to be able to talk to each other. So I think by recommending those resources specifically, they will have someone that they can reach out to so they don't feel just stuck and all alone through this journey. They can see that other people are also going through the same struggles and experiences as them. So I think that's okay. I mean, I can really only speak for me, but... I think recommending those with the online community is a is a safe bet. Cool. Well, then I will continue to do that. Uh, and as an aside, I believe we've both talked about this in previous episodes, but you did attend a boot camp. I did not. But neither of us did the whole CS degree thing, which is a third path that I guess we don't really know anything about. That's true. Yeah. Funny enough, back in, I don't know if I've shared this with you before. So here we go. <laughs> back in college when I was studying business management, marketing, entrepreneurship, some of those classes (laughs) and still trying to figure out what I was doing with myself. Uh, I did take a computer class and I hated it. And it wasn't uh, like Java or anything. I think honestly, from what I can recall, I think it was more like how to use computers in Excel and that type of class content. And I disliked it so much that I paid my brother 20 bucks a week to do my homework for me. (laughs) This is a fantastic new data point. No, you have not told me this before, but... So that was my first experience to having like a computer class and my way of getting around it. So the fact that I'm a developer now is pretty humorous to me. And my brother made some good money that semester since I was paying him (laughs) to finish my my class for me. I definitely was put off to coding or like I had a class in high school and then some introductory classes early on in college. And... It hated it. It was awful. One was in Visual Basic and one was in C++, and they were very academic, and they just didn't represent the thing that I now know to be what it is that I do for a job. But it was only after I found myself in a situation where like, I needed to code to overcome some challenge, and then I started working at it and finding, like, wait, I actually like this. Oh, no, I'm getting the wrong degree. Uh, whatever. I'll figure it out after I graduate. And then eventually pivoted into this wonderful world of being a web developer. But yeah, it definitely started with a like, "Mm, not for me, distasteful, don't like it. 
And then, so what was your route to ramping up quickly enough to then get hired as a developer? I was basically working at a company, wasn't able to do the work that I was there for because the manager had left basically like the week after I joined, put the world into a weird spot, but here we are. So it left me sort of alone in the corner as the new intern and no one had time available to work with me. So I was just like, I'll just sit over here and learn some stuff. And they had this one application. So I was like, I'll poke at this. It was developed in-house sort of thing. And I just kept poking at it and kept poking at it. And I brought it home and one of my friends knew how to code and he was helping me with it. And that sort of took over and I ended up working for them for a period of time to continue building out that application. And that totally flipped my opinion of coding at that point. Now I was like, oh, this is where I want to go with my life. But I was halfway through college getting a mechanical engineering degree. And I believe I correctly assessed the world and said, well, if I get the mechanical engineering degree, then I still have that option. But as far as I can tell, you can transition to coding without a degree versus if I switch to coding now, I'm resetting hard and I won't have the mechanical engineering degree and you can't do that one without a degree. So I chose to continue on that path. But when I graduated and basically for the rest of college, I was pursuing developing in one form or another. So it was reading every book I could get my hands on, watching videos, watch a lot of Railscasts, watch a lot of Destroy All Software, Gary Bernhardt stuff. And basically every day when I graduated, I had a job for three years before transitioning into this Every day I sat at my desk for lunch alone and just read blogs and I watched programming videos. And I think everyone at that company thought I was a bit of a loner. But then when I gave my what turned out to be three weeks notice, I started going to lunch with everyone. And they're like, wait, you're social? I was like, oh, yeah, I just had a thing to do for three years. Sorry. For three years? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was committed to the idea. I needed to get there. But it was a lot of effort and a lot of some false starts and some like in terms of technologies and I did not have a community. I was very much doing this on my own, and I regret that because there are definitely things that I could have done more quickly or I could have understood more about the world. And it was only at the very end when I started to meet people and started to connect with folks through meetups and things like that that all of that changed for me. What was the first language that you learned? I guess the first one I learned was Pascal in high school, but that was terrible. And then C++. I don't really count those. The first one that I actually did any meaningful work in was Visual Basic. Hmm. That just happened to be the world that I was in, and so that was the thing that I did. And to this day, the form builder stuff in Visual Basic was fantastic. You just drag a button on it, and then you double click, and you go to the event handler for when that button's clicked. It's For a new programmer, it was this incredibly accessible, intuitive, clear thing. That said, the code that I wrote was It was not good. There was one object. It was very big. Each of the forms was just the entire object-orientedness. of like It was just the form thing, and that's it. There were no other objects, no encapsulation. None of the things that I now hold so dear in terms of programming practices, but in a way, that was really wonderful. I was able to ramp up and use these visual tools and things. So yeah, Visual Basic has a weird place in my heart. That's funny. Uh, Yeah, it makes sense, too. When you're new, you just need that creative space to learn and make mistakes and, and figure out why encapsulation matters and I think it's nice to feel some of that pain before you progress to the the next part as to why this feels so helpful to pursue a different route. So kind of circling back a little bit to some folks that are interested in the boot camps, because this discussion around like going for like a four-year degree versus like you and I, we don't have the four-year degree. I went through a boot camp instead. One thing that I've heard people bring up is that they feel too old to transition into coding. And that one always catches me a little off guard. Because folks seem to have an opinion that if I go to a coding boot camp, I'm going to be surrounded by early 20-year-olds and they're either fresh out of college or they're kind of like computer whizzes. And those are the folks that are going to these programming boot camps. So that's something that I'm glad people share that concern with me because I very much want to turn that narrative around so folks know like this should not be an age-based career. Like if you are ready to start coding at 20, 30, 40, or 50, like anytime's a great time to start learning and get into it. 
So that one has just been something that's come up that I kind of wanted to touch on because I, it concerns me that people feel that way about coding boot camps. And for folks who are feeling that way, that they go to a coding boot camp and they feel like they're going to be in an older age bracket than everyone else that's there, I don't want to imply that, that they won't feel that way. Because I certainly acknowledge that I feel like a lot of the people in the law teams that I work with is a younger demographic. So I don't want to take away from their perspective that they may feel this way at some point. I just want to encourage them that if they are feeling that way, to still pursue coding as a career and to not let that be something that holds them back just because the industry has something that it's trying to deal with and correct. I don't want that to stop them from pursuing a career that they would enjoy. It is an interesting aspect about the world of coding that it does skew a good bit younger than other industries. I'm not entirely sure what all is going on there, but as someone who has done a good amount of interviewing and hiring, folks who are transitioning careers are extremely interesting, I think, in terms of what they can bring to the table. They have this whole other experience set that they can pull from and then the development. And presumably, if you are a bit further along in your career and you're deciding now to move into this, you've done some other stuff along the way. And... I would suggest leaning into that and focusing on those experiences. And I think it is, there are some practicalities and realities about the industry as it stands now, but I think it is absolutely a worthwhile thing to pursue if it's of interest to you. And I think those other experiences can only add to what you can bring into the situation. Yeah, totally. That's been my experience. When companies are hiring junior developers, if you have some other experience, it may not be related to coding at all, but if you have some other experience that is highly valued that you have some other working experience, maybe it's in healthcare, insurance, anything else, you'll bring those skills to the table. And employers will often appreciate and find value from those previous skills that you've built up in addition to your new coding skill. So yeah, I I think that's a, a great way to look at it is the fact that you do have some other experience that other candidates interviewing for jobs won't have. Uh, So they're bringing that along with you. Oh, uh, so ThoughtBot's doing something that's really exciting. We're partnering with Resilient Coders. We are indeed. Resilient Coders is a nonprofit boot camp that's operating here in Boston, and they do a pretty amazing thing where they are helping young people of color enter the software world, specifically people, I believe, without a college education, and then training them to be developers. I believe it was like a three-month course. I think I saw recently that they're hoping to extend it to be like a five-month course to give people a little bit more time to learn. They also use the donations that they receive to then pay their students a small sum each week to help them attend the program. Since boot camps are so expensive, it creates this gap where it's not realistic that everyone can take off three to six months of their life and then pay 20 grand for a boot camp to be able to transition into coding. So they're helping out with some of the financial concerns. And then they have an interesting enrollment process where you attend a hackathon that's seven hours long and you basically mingle with some of their staff, their alumni, you work on projects, and then they recruit you from that hackathon. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's an incredible program. And we've been working with them in terms of mentoring and going and providing office hours and things like that. But at this point, we're now expanding our involvement and going to continue with all of those things, but also planning to hire someone from the cohort that I believe is just starting now and will go until June. So I think this is one of the first six months cohorts. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. I haven't been to the community hours yet that they offer, but I'm making plans to to become more involved with Resilient Coders because I just really admire what they're doing. So along the lines of coding boot camps, I have a question that I'd love to run by you. I'm curious, if you were starting over today, if you had zero experience with coding, but it's something that you knew of and that you're interested in, what path do you think you would choose to become a developer? Oh, man, you're asking one of the like 
historically hard questions. Are you familiar with the song God Bless the Broken Road? Is it a country song? I think so. Then yes. Which is weird that I know it. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically a song about the idea of do I regret any of the choices I've made or would I change any of them? No, because they're the thing that got me to here and I'm, I'm quite happy to be here in all of those aspects. Yeah, so along those lines, if we take the sort of idea of like who you are and how you've gotten here and table that and pretend like none of that happened, because I agree that can sort of like it leads to the whole like, do I question those past decisions? But it's more of starting fresh and Mm -hmm. you don't have any of that prior experience. I'm curious how you would start diving into coding and what educational path you think you would choose. Well, I think I would definitely still start with self-study, just doing it myself, reading books, going through tutorials. The Rails tutorial particularly is like a thing that I will always hold very close because more than anything else sort of transitioned where I was in that part of my journey. So something like that to explore it and to convince myself that this idle curiosity that I had is actually something that it has real weight and will hold up. And so then from there, I would have to do a bunch of research because frankly, I'm, I'm not sure. I think my natural inclination would have been towards a four-year degree in this, but I don't know that in terms of the work that I do now and the work that interests me, I don't think the structure of four-year degrees right now maps to that very well. And so I think a boot camp is probably a more practical education towards web development specifically is the sort of thing that I would pursue, but um, would have to do a bunch of research and figure that out. Yeah, it is a lofty question that I'm presenting. So there is one bit of intrigue for me that I think if I were to start over and do this again, I really like that I did the boot camp. But one of my biggest concerns that I have with boot camps is something that continues to grow the more exposure that I have to it is I always worry that they are turning out individuals that are going to suffer from being burnt out at some point because coding boot camps do not teach you at all how to balance this new career that you're diving into. If anything, they have spent like three to six months educating you on how to like cram every moment of your day with coding and how you need to keep learning and be aggressive. And it is going to be the center of your world for the next year as you're trying to level up and get your first job. And then you're swimming at your first job and you're hopefully around some people that can help mentor you, but you may not. So that first year may also still be a a real struggle. So that's often one of my concern with coding boot camps is I think going through a four-year college program at least removes some of that where you have a little bit more of a balanced life, at least I Mm. imagine as someone who hasn't done it, but I'm thinking back to my college years, life felt more balanced versus going through a coding program and then getting your first job and no one along the way at some point is like, hey, this is how you should balance things. And it's okay to push back and not work after hours. And at what point do you no longer feel like a fraud that you can push back? So I think that's one interesting part of the education that we're not tackling. Yeah, that's a very good point. And again, in the like work-life balance thing, I look back on my time and I was like, no, it was fine. But actually, I skipped every lunch and I worked when I was at home and I did not have good work-life balance <laughs> for all of those years and frankly since. But that's my own fault. Slash, it's been fun. I liked it. So, Well, that's the other part, too, is if you're enjoying it, because sometimes I'll have friends and stuff and they're like, oh, you seem to code a good bit in off hours. And I'm like, well, it's true, but I enjoy it. Like, I don't want you to see me coding and worry that you think I'm working too much. Like, I really do enjoy. I'm very fortunate in that area where I very much enjoy what I do and I enjoy reading about it and I enjoy talking about it with people. So I'm lucky in that area. But I also will try to remind myself that I am also example to other people and that I don't want them to think that they have to work this hard or work this many hours if they want to be successful. 
Yeah, that is an excellent reason to consider the four-year degree approach, especially I, I feel like colleges are starting to come around to more practical software engineering or software development type curriculum as opposed to more of the computer science, big O notation and things like that. Yeah, I wonder if we'll ever get to a point where we have this hybrid of college and a coding boot camp where instead of trying to turn someone into a developer in three months, we're like, we'll give you a year. A year seems far more reasonable where you can learn at a moderate pace and then we'll still teach you a lot of stuff that's very applicable because that's the part I like about boot camps is it's very specific to like this is what you're going to need to know day one to be productive on the job and to be able to understand what your colleagues are doing. So I like that approach very much while the four-year degree is going to teach you a lot more of theoretical concepts that could be helpful at some point, maybe not. So a hybrid would be cool one day, although I realize that also circles back to the the financial concern of like, can you take a full year off to transition into this new career? So it's a challenging thing to tackle to help people migrate over to being a developer. But I just want us to do a better job of encouraging people to not burn out in their first couple of years because they have gone hard to make this transition happen. So to summarize my bespoken blog post on boot camps. <laughs> if you want to talk about boot camps, I am more than happy. I love talking about them and also just listening if anyone wants to bounce ideas off of me and, and get some feedback. But overall, I think you and I are in similar space where we would recommend start learning for free or at a low cost as soon as possible. Don't wait for the boot camp to start learning. And when it comes to specific questions around researching the program that you're attending, one of the first things that I always look at is a teacher to student ratio to make sure they're going to be able to help people and then look at the curriculum to see if it's something that's going to map to a day-to-day -day sort of environment. So looking for like HTML, CSS, learning how to work with Git, and then if they have something that's back-end and front-end, so Rails and React is great if you're not sure what you're doing because that way you get exposure to both sides and it can help you choose which direction you want to go after your boot camp. And I think that's enough of a starting point, yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> This felt good to talk about this. I feel like I've been having so many like small conversations about this with different people. It's nice to sort of like bring it all together to one space to share it here. On that note, shall we wrap up? Let's wrap up. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. The show is produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support the show is to leave us a quick rating or even a review in iTunes as it really helps other folks find the show. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at at underscore bike shed on Twitter, or you can reach me at at Chris Toomey. And I'm at S. Vicari. Or you can email hosts at bikeshed.fm. Thanks so much for listening to The Bike Shed, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. Join our team dedicated to creating products people love to use. With open positions at our studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, come discover a better way to work.